I'm Sheila Vashi, an investor at Basiset Ventures, an early stage venture capital fund investing in founders that transform the way people work. I'm excited to bring you Hypergrowth, The Early Years, a show that dives into the strategy, channels, and hires that kickstarted the growth journey of the most successful companies. Hello, everyone. I am so thrilled to welcome Camille Ricketts to the show today. Camille has had an incredible career in journalism and now marketing. Today, she leads the marketing team at Notion, which we all know is one of the hottest companies in the productivity space. Prior to Notion, she ran the content team at First Round Capital, worked at the White House, and spent time as a reporter at VentureBeat and the Wall Street Journal, among other amazing things. Welcome to the show, Camille. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. Camille, tell us a little bit about your background and why you picked Notion after you've had such a distinguished career from the White House to the best publications. Notion is your first startup. How did you end up there? It's been a really circuitous path, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I started out wanting to be a journalist, knowing that I was going to be a journalist, Uh, got a job at the Wall Street Journal right out of college, which was crazy, Um, had the chance to live in both London and New York doing that, and then had the opportunity after covering green technology for a while with VentureBeat to join the team at Tesla to do my first work in content marketing and PR uh, and really fell in love with the power of storytelling within companies and really saw a very interesting trend toward consumers responding much better to stories rather than traditional selling practices and decided that could be a niche that I was really interested in. And then I honestly got lucky a couple of times. The biggest time I got lucky was meeting my boss at first round for the first time. He had reached out pretty much out of the blue to say, hey, do you want to come build this publication called First Round Review for us? Took a chance on me. And through that job, I met so many incredible people got to learn from so many operators who are inspiring in this business. And I also met my now boss at Notion, uh, who was a founder that First Round had invested in. So honestly, kind of a domino effect in my favor, but I have both gained experience proactively and then benefited from quite a bit of luck. That's so interesting, Camille. And and content and community is such a strength for Notion. So you said that you were the first on the marketing team. How did you prioritize hiring to, to double down on what was working? Definitely the community side. It just needed somebody to really shepherd all of that energy. It needed somebody who was already familiar with the product, somebody who full-time could jump in and start building these relationships that were going to be even more influential for us within the community. And I was so fortunate to meet my now colleague, Ben Lang. And the way that I met him is always interesting to tell people about, but he was running a Notion fan site called notionpages.com that to this day still gets 80,000 hits a month. He's been thinking about who he should gift that to, but immediately I was like, this guy, I must work with him. He must be here. (laughs) So he was my first hire, which is a little bit non-traditional for growing marketing teams, to be honest, to invest in community that early on. And then he went on to right away uh, found our ambassadors community, which has been extremely important and strategic for us and do a bunch of other things that have really moved the needle. Uh, And then after he joined the team, uh, understanding that we needed to build out some really beautiful assets that were going to match this brand that already existed in such a fully formed way and emanated so elegantly from our founder, Ivan. So Next stop was a designer uh, and a designer who could code, who really 
has become one of our most cherished secret weapons because we don't have to beg, borrow, and steal for engineering resources to get marketing projects built. Uh, and from there, then filling out the content team, I work with two really inspiring editorial experts, Andrea and Nate, uh, who tell stories on both the B2B and B2C sides of the Notion business. So honestly, it's been it's been our major emphasis to invest in community and content. That was certainly what we did first early on. And now we're really building the muscle more around analytical growth, performance, life cycle, and those competencies. I love that. I want to dig into all of these things, but let's start with community because it's such a hot topic. I feel like it's it's become the the role du jour to hire for these days. So you were lucky in that Notion had, as you said, these communities that existed, so you were able to hire from that. What advice would you give to founders or early teams that are looking to grow their own communities to be able to leverage for future product use? I think the first step is to just start listening across all channels and see where activity is popping up. So whether that's Twitter or Reddit, or maybe there's some other more niche forums or affinity groups where people are really not talking necessarily about your brand, but interested in the topics adjacent to your brand, getting enthusiastic about maybe some of the competitors in your space, seeing who's most vocal in those communities, and then not being shy about reaching out to them in a way that's going to make them feel special and really invested in the success of your brand. Uh, and there's a few ways to do that. But I think the number one way is to just make them understand that their feedback is going to be meaningful and that you're really in a learning position and that you are so grateful to them for the time and energy that they might invest in helping you better understand how your product can meet your customers' needs. And so no matter how, I would say, niche or technical your product is, I think that there's always opportunity to assemble even a small group of these people and make them feel really connected to the way that the product is developing. And they become the seeds of the broader advocacy community that you'll be able to build. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing that. And now dig in a little bit more to content. That feels like another big buzzword that people use, but don't always really know what it means or know how to break down a content strategy. From your experience, you know, as a journalist and, you know, all the amazing places you've worked, you clearly are probably the foremost expert on building content for brands. So tell us a little bit about how you approached the, the challenge at Notion. Well, A, that's incredibly kind, Sheila. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and B, I have to follow that up right away by saying that probably no content launched in the traditional sense of how people think about it in this industry until about a year after I joined. So I always joke with my uh, leadership team, my boss, who's the CEO, uh, that you know he hired me probably to do this. And it's taken quite some time because we had so many other pressing priorities before content. But Isn't now- that always how it is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. People are like, oh, I can't wait for Notion's amazing content strategy, given that Camille Ricketts is over there. And I'm like, wait for it. <laughs> and now, to be honest, uh, I just hired other incredible experts and my whole job is about enabling them to the best of my ability. So I would say that uh, the first thing that you absolutely have to do if content is going to be a pillar of your strategy is understand your audience incredibly well. And not just from like a high level, like, well, the, you know, it's mostly engineers who are mostly working in fintech, uh, mostly in the United States, that's still too high level. You really have to understand 
who they believe your competitors are, how they see your product as unique from your competitors, what are the features that are differentiating, what value do those differentiated features unlock, at what point do they understand the value that your product could provide to them, what are the pain points that are so brutal for them that they're going to be willing to pay in order to solve those pain points. You really have to dig into it. And once you have all of that understanding, you'll be able to select the channels that are going to be most productive for you from a content perspective. And you'll be able to create the messages that you know are going to best motivate all of those people in the way that you want to. That makes a lot of sense, starting with the strategy and then and and understanding the customers and then breaking it down to channels and and content fit for that. How did that work at Notion? What were the channels that you doubled down on and what kind of traction did you start to see? So there's two main channels that we're producing content through, written, editorial, and then video on YouTube. And we've just recently brought all of these videos onto the website. And we have both user education, which is about helping existing users deepen their engagement, realize more value in the product. And then there's top of funnel, people who are just discovering Notion and helping them feel really anchored and interested and inspired. So those are all considerations. But the thing that has made the biggest difference across all of those mediums and all of those concepts is making a matrix of our use cases across Uh, the main personas that we're trying to reach. So if you think about, if you visualize a two by two matrix, we would put the use cases, which for Notion are like wiki knowledge base, high-end notes, project management down one side. And then across the top, key personas, which are engineers, designers, product leaders, HR leaders. And then inside each cell in that matrix, literally saying, okay, how do we connect this use case with this audience? How do we do it in a way that intrigues them so much that they are willing to check out Notion with no prior knowledge in a way that makes them feel instantly aware that Notion can solve the problems that they have. And then third, that they feel capable using Notion themselves in order to realize that value without us having to intervene. And if we can do those three things inside each of those 12 cells with our content, then we've won. I love that. That's such a clear strategy and way to ensure that all of your users, your users are getting what they need. How do you think, so the, the question that I've always struggled with and early teams and founders probably also always struggle with is how do you measure the impact or the success of a content strategy or even a community strategy like this. It's it's hard to apply the typical CAC or you know LTV to CAC metrics, et cetera, to, to a strategy like this. I'm curious how you've approached it. At least from my experience, you have to get very comfortable with uncertainty and with investing in things that don't scale or don't have any crisp observable results. You do have to act on faith in both of these verticals to a large extent, particularly early on when experimentation is going to be so important because the only way that you are going to discover those breakthrough tactics or those breakthrough moments is by experimenting really wildly. You can't expect everything to contribute to really discernible ROI. And I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of companies make when they first hire an editorial or content leader is say, okay, and here is the number that you are responsible for moving because that really locks them into 
needing to do things that they think are so tightly aligned with what that number is about, that they're not going to experiment with a lot of the things that probably would do more later down the road. So that's just a quick aside on that. In terms of how we've measured things, we've just started to get more sophisticated about attributing down funnel activity to people who have engaged with our content toward the top of the funnel. Uh, We are looking at people who are coming in through YouTube, through these uh, user education guides that we've written, through the blog posts that we've written uh, to understand what happens to them once they do sign up or what happens to them after this becomes one of the touch points along their journey. There's a lot more that we could do to make that visibility a lot more clear. But I think that the biggest advantage that we had was giving ourselves time, probably all of 2019, to just work out some of these primary mechanics. That makes sense and very interesting. And and I know it's something that a lot of companies struggle with, uh, better understanding how to measure these things. So thank you for that. More broadly, how does your content and community strategy play into the main drivers of user acquisition? And so I guess first, what are those main drivers of user acquisition? And how were you able to double down on those either through your content strategy or or otherwise? Yeah, we're really lucky here at Notion that word of mouth is our number one driver. And Content is all about buttressing that word of mouth and making it stronger, amplifying it, elevating the people who are the best at creating that buzz. Um, So I would say that uh, in terms of how this actually works into customer acquisition, we've used a lot of our community connections Uh, all around the world, because 80% of Notion users are outside of the US, in order to create assets that then get shared virally, and then track back all of the users who came from a lot of those viral assets. So one of the best examples is leveraging our community to run YouTube sponsorships. And it's something that we don't do that often, uh, but we, we identify someone incredible who's already in love with Notion, uh, who has quite a few subscribers. We might sponsor their video to do a video about Notion, and then often it attracts an outsized audience. And then we're able to see at least a subsegment of that traffic because we'll provide a link back to the website with tracking code back to that video, and we'll understand what happened with those users. The other side of of content and why it's been so valuable to us is mostly in the sense of nurturing people who have come in, in some respect, maybe they've just visited the website, maybe they've filled out a lead capture form uh, on LinkedIn or something along those lines, but content really gives us the ability to meet them where they are in their use of the product through email, through other forms of messaging. Uh, and serve something to them that's actually going to have value in context of their experience, where they're going to learn something that's important to them or help them further their goals, so that none of what we are intervening with feels like sales or like we're pushing them towards something that's self-serving, but more about, hey, how can we enhance the way that you're currently using the product? So I hope that that answers your question about the role that those two channels are playing. In acquisition. That does. It's it, very helpful. How does that change, if at all, for paid users? Is there a particular channel or strategy or even type of content that you use to encourage people to convert to paid? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the same content, to be quite honest with you. Um, one of the things that's best about Notion is that there's a very bottom-up feel to it where individuals may fall in love with using the app on a personal basis and then realize the value that it might have in the workplace, bring it to their team. Their team really loves it, maybe shares it with a few partnering teams, and then maybe it works its way up from there. That is definitely a pathway that we've seen and we're really interested in making even more robust. So I would say that a lot of the same levers are involved with this because at the end of the day, enterprise buyers are just people like you and me, and they don't need to be spoken to in any particularly formal or dry way in order to motivate them, even though I think that's traditionally been what a lot of enterprise marketing looks like. You can still appeal to them the way that you appeal to consumers you really just need to show them that this product is going to solve their problems and that in order to do it, it's not going to be a huge headache for them to implement it. I love that. Enterprise buyers are people too, inside of the day. <laughs> I hope that that didn't come out the wrong way, but truly, I think that people are like, no, we have to have these one pagers and there has to be a lot of navy blue on them and uh, we have to speak this way to CIOs. And I just don't think that that's the case. I think that they are also motivated by ease and delight and understanding how something that is graceful to use can also be something that solves their big revenue-based problems. I love that. The navy blue part is the best. <laughs> and sometimes the navy blue is the enterprise color. <laughs> it is. It, is. It, it, it evokes security. It does. <laughs> Switching back to hiring, again, such a hot topic for early stage companies and for founders. You talked a little bit about the first couple of hires that you made. How did you think about balancing out the team over time? That's a great question. And I think I, I said in an earlier question that just now we're cultivating our strength on the analytical and the ops and the performance and life cycle side and really balancing out the art and the science and it's so interesting that marketing is one discipline because it's really remarkably diverse and versatile from a skill set perspective. You have people who are mathematicians and data scientists who work in marketing. And then you also have people who are, you know, we have an incredible illustrator. He's part of the marketing team. Um, we have somebody who is really just focused on beautiful editorial. And so you have to think about what binds a team with that remarkable sort of um, right brain, left brain acuity and make sure that people feel like a lot of cross-functional comfort uh, and the ability to ask silly questions from one side to the other, um, understand which strengths are complementary, how to make sure that one thing can be utilized to amplify another thing or how one thing can support the efforts of another thing. Um, so I think it really comes down to the, the personalities that you bring onto the team and making sure that they are really open, um, super excited to not just learn from other people, but to teach other people. And if you have that kind of teaching culture inside of a marketing team, um, you're just much more likely to move as a unit. That's a great insight. How do you build a teaching culture? That's that's something that's so hard to cultivate, but also so important. I think in the interview process, one of my favorite questions to ask is just teach me something like based on your experience uh, in whatever it is that maybe I am asking you about. But what is something that, you know, you cracked the nut on maybe recently, maybe in the last two years at your current job that you felt was unusual or contrarian or surprising to you in some way? And 
teach me about it. How did you happen upon it? How did you augment it and, and see how they break it down? And um, also just how kind of graciously they relay the information, how excited they are to see understanding in another person, how passionate they are about like figuring out problems and kind of getting wonky about stuff like that. I think you want to find that quality because that also comes with just tremendous patience and giving people just a lot of grace in their work. And that's, that's the stuff that's actually going to help you gain speed and quality over time. That's great. Are there any particular questions that you ask to get at that? Um, besides, honestly, just teach me something. Like, for instance, I've been talking to a lot of people around communications and PR. And one of the big things that I just want to know how to do is, you know, what's the anatomy of a really wonderful relationship with reporters? How often do you want to be in touch with them? What types of things do you like to share with them on a regular basis? When they reach out to you, how do you like to handle those interactions? So really like seeing how the person thinks through something that they're a, a domain expert at and kind of gets into the detail. Like they, I'm looking for somebody who's not just going to remain super high level for expedience or because they think that it's the easier way to answer a question, but who is really interested in like, well, what's the detail that you really wanted in this? And um, am I going deep enough or what are the, the tactics that they've used in the past and not just sort of like a, well, you know, uh, very generally here are the broad strokes of what it is that I do. I love that question. It's one of my favorite questions in an interview because I often learn something that I never thought I would from that. Right. Yes. And I mean, that's what is so exciting about working with all of these variously talented people. Camille, you've had so many successes in your career, but then also specifically at Notion. Tell us about a mistake that you made across all of these experiences and what you would have done differently. Oh, gosh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> You're too uh, humble. I will choose one from first round and then I'll choose one from Notion. At first round, I really stepped in and thought to myself, you're going to build a publication. I wonder what that looks like. And uh, it really was a learning process over time around how to do great interviews with people. And initially, I did not do great interviews with people. I would show up to sometimes interviews with exceptionally important, high caliber people and uh, ask ad hoc questions and hope that I was going to surface really interesting details that were going to allow me to write a beautiful story. And that didn't happen. And over the course of probably my first six months uh, at the review, uh, I learned a lot of things. I learned how important it was to do a pre-conversation before the interview, to mutually decide upon with the source what it is we wanted to cover, to really bring them on the journey of why that topic was going to be interesting to our readers, and then send them questions in advance and have a plan for those questions to actually map to the content that I wanted to then surface in the story. So all of that kind of a um, Rubik's Cube of different steps had to come together and it definitely came together not all at once, but in a staggered way where I was like, oh, this makes interviewing a lot better. Or this improves the quality of the content. Oh, this does too. Uh, but I wish that it had happened probably a lot less gradually. Um, well, that's awesome. I just learned something. I, I now need to do that Rubik's cube prior to a podcast interview. So thank you for that. You did. I feel like we did do that. So we, we did a little bit, but I don't know if it was a full Rubik's cube. <laughs> it was so interesting to see even 
the step of sending questions, let's say the person just glances at them. They don't take any notes. They don't really sit with them. But even the act of them just glancing and knowing what was coming made the responses so much more comprehensive. I would say if I was offering advice based on this, don't take for granted even small, um, seemingly very detailed steps. So there's that one. And uh, then at Notion, that's such a good question. There are so so many mistakes to the extent that it's almost like, well, that's just one big growth mindset process for me. <laughs> I um, love that. But I think that we are learning. And certainly um, this was more true earlier in this year than now when I think we have it a bit more down. But uh, cross-functional project management and just understanding how to uh, bring everybody along on how a project is taking shape, making sure there's complete and transparent communication, really busting games of telephone, which has been remarkably hard this year. Uh, but all of those things were were things that I discovered uh, through hard work. No tears, but uh, <laughs> certainly a battle-earned sort of insights that, that I wish that I could go back and say uh, were obvious at the time, but are now obvious. So I'm happy about that. Well, those lessons are always so valuable for future endeavors and uh, projects. I hope so. <laughs> Any other advice for founders or early teams as they're looking to hire marketing, content, community, or growth leaders? I would say that uh, you want to find somebody to start off with who is going to have an innate interest in what your story is and to help you understand the story of your product. What are, what are the things that are uniquely interesting about it? So even though it may seem at some companies that uh, you're like, we just need people to download the thing, or we just want to maximize XYZ number, it does behoove you to start with that groundwork of who is this for? Why is it important to them? What benefits does it provide? What pain does it kill? Uh, and how are we different from the other folks that are doing this? Knowing that positioning and letting it not just influence the way that you message the product and marketing and sales materials, but also even the decisions you make about what you should ship can be so foundational. So uh, in your early hires, and this doesn't have to be somebody that has my skill set. It can be somebody who is an incredible growth, very analytical growth side hire, but somebody who is going to help you arrive at those answers is so important. So maybe incorporating that into your interview process, something about positioning and how that person would either create it or better understand it. Um, I hope that that could help folks out there get to some good signal. That's such great advice. So Camille, thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit more about your story and your time specifically at Notion. It is now time for my favorite part of the, the show, which is our fire round, where I'm going to call out some questions to you and you just answer whatever is top of mind. Don't spend any time thinking about it. Just short, uh, few word answers. Oh gosh, All right? I'm my best. First question. What is your favorite growth technology? Oh, um, I really do love our email automation software provider. It's Customer.io and those customer success managers over there are incredible folks. Customer.io, you got you have a real evangelist here with Camille. You, you, you folks are lucky. <laughs> Next question. Tell us a secret growth hack you've used. Secret growth hack. 
Gosh, I'm not sure if it's a secret or if what anyone would consider a growth hack because it's not a quick thing. Uh, but honestly, this ambassador community could not have been more influential in the growth of this product. I attribute so much to it. Good answer. What's the What has been the most helpful resource on growing a company for you? Oh, just a bunch of really generous mentors. I'm someone that comes to this job with a pretty non-traditional background. So I've definitely been depending on the kindness of so many of the people I honestly met through first round who are just my phone a friend on almost every marketing topic imaginable. Nothing like a community to help you grow your community. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I love it. <laughs> what is your superpower? Oh, this is going to require me to say something that's not so humble. <laughs> Honestly, it's got to be line editing. Like I I was just joking with uh, one of the people who work in editorial on my team where they ran out of time on something. They're like, Camille, can you just edit this so that I, we can get it out the door? And I was so pleasantly surprised to be like, zip, zip, zip. Like, oh man, I am good at this. Maybe I should just move to Italy and do this. <laughs> That is quite a skill. I, I've I've tried my hand at that in the past, and it's extremely hard for what it's worth. There's so many things in my job that are not that, that it's really soothing for me that I can still hold on to something like that. That's awesome. Okay, last question. This is going to be a series of couple of questions. What's the most overrated collaboration app? Oh, gosh, this is controversial, Sheila. I'm not sure that I can answer uh, it's a little controversial. There's just so many that are really wonderful out there. I'm going to have to pass. Uh, okay. No, no problem. You can also answer underrated if you prefer. Underrated. Underrated. Oh, obviously. Well, I can't even say that it's underrated. It's exactly correctly rated, but Figma is a magical tool and everybody should use it. Another shout out for Figma. Look at that. Lots of surprised. great companies are getting shout outs today. That's a good one. What about you can pick overrated or underrated social media app? Underrated or overrated? Extremely underrated. This is going to be a bizarre shout out perhaps, but there is a new social media app on the block called Telepath. Everybody should check it out at telepath.com. The conversation on there, extremely high caliber because they've devoted so much time and loving energy into really conscientious and sensitive moderation. Love the team over there. Everybody should check it out and get on the wait list. Everyone check out Telepath. I, I definitely will after this. Last question, most overrated or you can answer underrated trend in tech. Overrated or underrated trend in tech? Um, underrated trend, one that's going to be related to Notion and hopefully bring us full circle. But the consumerization of enterprise is very real. And people inside of companies have more power and agency than ever before to choose the tools that are going to delight them to use on an everyday basis. We want to be among the tools that they choose, obviously. But I'm just in general excited to see that happen because the more people who love their tools, the more great work they're going to do with them. Camille, that was beautiful. What a way to bring us back to where we started. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today. We've learned so much from first, just more about your background to what you focused on at Notion, how you spent time on the content and community strategy, and then finally, how you think about hiring and building great teams. Thank you again for taking time with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to hear from our amazing guest today. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you'd like to keep in touch, please follow me on Twitter at Sheila Vashi or shoot me an email at Sheila at basisset.ventures. And if you want to hear more, we'll be posting episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud every week. So check it out. See you next week.